If you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15, I'd like us to look at not even the whole chapter, a good bit of it, but not all of it, and consider. While I didn't have this in mind, I have in mind what Brother Red was going to be preaching. I think it'll fit very well. Brother Red was telling us about the devil, about some of his wiles, about how he wants to distract us and remove us from doing the will of God and some remedies to help us stay in the way of the Lord. Let's take a look at a man who didn't do that. Let's consider the first king of Israel. A man who had the opportunity to have set his family as the ruling dynasty in Israel, God's people. And because of what we're about to read in this chapter, he lost it all. Talking about Saul. I want you to look at this. I want you to look at a man who had all the right things around him and still failed miserably. Young people especially, take a look at this lesson. It can happen to you as easily as it happened to Saul. First Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Let's stop right there for a second. Samuel comes to Saul in the name of the Lord and says, the Lord set you up to be his king. Now, he's got a a message for you. He's got a task for you to accomplish as his king. Do you remember in the history of Israel, as they were coming out of the land of Egypt, they had wandered around and were coming into the promised land, the Amalekites attacked them. They went and attacked the rear part of of the nation as they were coming in. And I set it down, remember, you know, don't let any Amalekites into the congregation of Israel at all, ever. It's time now to give them some payback. It's time now to requite them for the evil that they did to you, my people. So, Saul, I want you to execute my judgment. If you were the one hearing this message, would you be confused? Would you have a problem understanding exactly what the Lord said or what he wanted? Was he vague? Was he, you know, being very mystical in the revelation he gave to Samuel? Or was it rather precise and exact? Amen. Now go, verse 3, and smite Amalek. And destroy? No, no. Utterly destroy. That's kind of like, you know, to the great extent. Wipe them out. Wipe out what? All that they have. And spare them not. Okay, 
All that they have, I guess that would indicate, I mean, you can't kill a tree. Well, you can kill a tree, but you can't kill a building, right? You can't kill, you know, a, a piece of wood. Ah, but you can kill animals. Okay? Make sense? I mean, follow along as I'm going through. I mean, if you're the one hearing this message, how would you interpret it? Would you have any problem understanding that, oh, all of their livestock needs to be destroyed? Okay. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. See, in case you'd missed it, in case you weren't quite certain what he meant by to utterly destroy everything that he has, I think that pretty well... Lays it out, don't you? That's pretty precise. It's pretty exact. Not much wiggle room is there. Okay? The Lord gave a command. Destroy all the Amalekites and destroy all their livestock. Okay? Now let's take a look and see what did Saul do. Let's see how he executed on that command. That's verses 4 through 9. Now, excuse me, and... Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and of all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Can you put two lists in your mind and start making a comparison? Okay? Over here we have, what did God say? People, animals, destroy. Now, let's make our little list on this side and compare. What did Saul do? Okay, well, first of all, he gathered the army together. Ah, he made the wise preparation to execute what God said. Hey, check it off. That's a good thing, right? He surrounded the city with his forces. And notice, the Lord said he had something against Amalek. In the same area where Amalek lived, there were the Kenites. Now, who were the Kenites? Does anybody remember? Who are they related to? Jethro. Moses' father-in-law. They came with the children of Israel and were prospered with them when they were in the land. Saul remembered that. Saul knew the area. He knew the Kenites were there and that they had done good to Israel. What's he here to do? He's here to destroy people who've done evil to Israel. So he sends messengers in their midst to say, hey, I'm here to get rid of and destroy the Amalekites. So you're not part of them. Get out of here so that none of you are accidentally destroyed in the slaughter of the Amalekites. 
good thing. Right? So far, he's doing an excellent job of following what God told him to do. Even interpreting it even more so. Because after all, is God a God of mercy and love? Does he repay goodness to those who do good? Here's a people who did good to his people. And Saul, get the picture now, did Saul understand his charge? Yes, he very well understood what the charge was. There was nothing obscure in what was going on. He even went a step further than the direct instructions, properly interpreting what God wanted done. God wouldn't have wanted to destroy the Kenites, so I'm going to warn them in advance so they can get out. So, so far, we've got some good check marks on this side, right? If we compare this with this side, what Saul did, some good green check marks. Then he attacks them. It tells us that initially he captured the king, okay, and he destroyed all the rest of the people. So at least one of those two we can check off as well done. But then it tells us that he specifically spares the king of the Amalekites. And then he and the people... Do something else. When they start looking at all the herds, at all the mass of the Amalekites' wealth and possessions, they look at that and they make a decision. It's awesome, awfully good looking livestock here. It'd be sure, it's such a waste just to take them all out. Let's destroy all the wicked and the, all the, the, you know, the ones that have crooked backs, you know, the funky spots on them, the things that aren't the best looking, the ones that are sickly, the ones that are old. Let's destroy all those, but let's take the best stuff back. Did they follow the specific instructions of the Lord? No. Nope. They deviated. Yeah. Well, let's look and see what the Lord has to say to Samuel about this. Verse 11, verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. If you read through this account, and you read through the rest of Scripture, it's, it's a very interesting thing, brethren. This, if you read this book, you can tell it's inspired of God. If you read the book all the way through and think about it carefully, you can tell it's inspired of God. Why do I say that? It shows a realistic picture of mankind. It shows us warts and all. Tell me any other book that would take one of its greatest heroes like David and show some of the awful things that he did that were wrong. David sure wouldn't have done that, right? I mean, if David had written his autobiography, he more than likely, unless inspired by God, would have overlooked or, you know, kind of given a better slant. You know, what do we call it today? Spin. He'd have given a spin on why he did certain things. The Word of God doesn't. One of the things you see here is that Samuel had some real affection for Saul. Samuel liked Saul. For all of his faults. Samuel liked the man as a person. But you know what? 
We can all like things that aren't right. There can be people that we can have emotions for and feelings for. That when it comes down to it, we need to be very careful of. We need to make sure that we're following what God wants done. Because what was God's idea about Saul? With all the advantages he'd been given, he was what? Head and shoulders taller than anybody in the land. I mean, he had to go hide himself, right? On the day of his coronation. Because if he was just standing in the midst of everybody, you know, I mean, Brother Keith would be like, you tra- you know, you got to hide yourself because you're tall and big and broad, you know. I mean, the rest of us, you know. And the description of Saul would make mean that he would be, you know, Brother Keith would be a runt next to him. You know. But the Lord said, you know. Look, I gave you an order to do, and you didn't follow it. That's it. I've had enough. Now, before we go on further, did he instantly lose the kingdom, meaning that all of a sudden he was on the street? No. He lived for another 30-some-odd years, ruling over the nation. So God didn't take him out from his position right away. But from this point forward, you see that oftentimes that very spirit that Brother Red was talking about was the one who took him over. An evil spirit from the Lord would take him over and guide and direct him. And I'm not ready to make my point yet to bring the lesson forward, but just think about that. Especially young folks. This was his first big chance as king to do something. And what did he do with it? He blew it. He continued on as king for years to come. But he did not have God's backing after this point in his life. Do you know what's worse than making a mistake that costs you your life? It's making a mistake that you live to live down. For the rest of a long life. So. Samuel. Then confronts Saul. Verses 13 through 23. Start verse 12. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. It was told Samuel saying Saul came to Carmel. And behold he hath set up a place. And is gone about. And passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul, you just came back from a battle where you're supposed to wipe out every living thing. How come I'm hearing all this noise of some big herd of cattle and sheep around me? What's that from, Saul? And Saul said, Oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Nice spin. 
Nice spin, isn't it? You know, oh, well, that's all the stuff we brought so we can sacrifice it to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Look at all this beautiful livestock we have to offer up to the Lord. And yeah, we got rid of all the rest of the stuff. All the bad stuff, it's gone. Only the choice stuff here for the Lord. Don't you like that? Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast but little little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed, till they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Here's Saul's coming back. He's just executed judgment. He's brought all this good stuff for the Lord. And here Samuel wants to rain on his parade. Isn't it awful how righteous people will come up to you sometime. You're right in the middle of a great success. And what do they want to do? Point out all the little nitpicky things you've done wrong. Well, you know what? If you haven't followed exactly what the Lord wants to do, what he wants done, you haven't done anything right. You haven't done anything worth looking at. Amen. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So I guess Agag was an Ethiopian? That's why you didn't destroy him? I mean, if he was an Amalekite, he should have been destroyed. Brethren, that's why you want to be so very careful to pay heed to what Brother Red said today. You'll be just like Saul. How so? Saul looked at plain disobedience as obedience. The devil's a deceiver. The devil's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Our Lord Jesus Christ told us. And what is the worst lie that you can have? It's a lie that you yourself believe to be the truth. That's the worst worst deception possible. The worst deception isn't that Benny Hinn is going to get up and fleece you from something. The worst deception is that you're Benny Hinn thinking you're doing God's will. That's the worst deception possible. And by the way, I'm not saying one either way of what he is. I could care less. But just put yourself in those shoes. The worst is not Benny Hinn sitting there thinking, boy, I'm just racking up the bucks off these poor deluded idiots. No, the worst would be Benny Hinn thinking, I'm healing people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the worst deception possible. And the devil loves that. The devil wants to get you just in that place. But the people took of the spoil. 
Sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. Oh, which should have been utterly destroyed, Saul? Does that mean that you understood the instructions you were given? To sacrifice on the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Let's analyze that. Let's pull that apart a second. Saul comes to Samuel, greets him as a great success. Samuel comes back with a little irony, right? What? I mean, that to me, this is one of those passages that just has lived in my mind with that beautiful piece of irony there. I've done everything God called for. Meh, meh. What's that bleeding the sheep in my ears then if you've done everything God called for? Oh, we saved the best. We saved the best for sacrifice and destroyed all the rest. Saul, let's talk a minute. Let me tell you something. You remember the humble beginnings you came from? How God lifted you up and made him your ki- his king? Then he gave you as his king some clear instructions on what you ought to do. And you blatantly disregarded them. Oh, but I did obey. I told. I did exactly what he told me to do. And I'm a deceived man. Because one of the things I'm going to claim is that I brought back Agag, the king. I mean, if you're like me, if you're looking at that like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? That's a measure of obedience? Is that you disobeyed? In bringing back one of them? Brethren, that's sin. That's the nature of deception. That's exactly what the devil wants us all caught up in. Oh, yes, we should have destroyed all the livestock, see? But we had a higher goal. We were going to give them in sacrifice to God. How many people... Let's not go to anybody else. How often, brethren... Have we done something that we've looked back and said, well, I've got a higher goal for this. I know it's not right, according to this verse over here, but I had a higher goal in mind. I had good intentions. Brethren, the Bible, as a sidelight, the Bible can help us judge good intentions. How many people can you look at and say, well, but they're doing so many nice things. They're so good. I mean, I can't judge their heart. Only the Lord knows. But look at all the good things they do. Excuse me. The Lord does. He tells us how to judge their heart. Are they obeying my word or not? If they're not obeying my word, then what they're doing is not good. It's not right. In particular, the choice of sacrifice versus obedience. Because that's how we want to put it, right? Well, the Lord told me to do this thing over here. But I've got this great sacrifice I'm going to bring over here. And that's more important than this little bitty thing he told me to do over here, isn't it? I mean, what I'm doing over here is so much more noble. 
It's so much more important what I'm doing here than this little bitty thing over here he asked me to do. No. God says that he wants obedience. God wants us to obey what he said. And look. Reason with me now as we read through this. Verse 22. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than a fat of rams. We've already got that. For rebellion. Do you see the jump that he's made there? I mean, in logic, there's a little bitty phrase he's not even put there. He's assumed it. Partial obedience is disobedience. When you've got a clear instruction from God and you just decide to take part of it and obey it and leave the rest undone, that's disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And disobedience is what? Rebellion. And in God's order, rebellion. Well, I mean, he just, you know, he just didn't want to do that little thing. I mean, is that all that bad? Well, you might as well have gone out and drawn a pentagram out there and called up the devil. That's what witches do, right? Might as well have gone out and done that. As that little bitty bit of rebellion. And notice he goes further. Stubbornness. What's stubbornness? Well, isn't it a good choice I made? I mean, God said to do this. But I have this better notion, right? I'm like Ford. I've got the better idea than what God wanted. Okay? Stubbornness is as what? Witchcraft, iniquity, and idolatry. Oh, so my better idea of offering sacrifice. You might as well just take that and offer it up to Baal. That's what the Lord's saying. It's the same thing. God said, I want this. You said, no, God, you don't want that. You want this over here. Or you said, I see what you want, God, but I don't want to give it to you. I'd rather do this. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Hey, and because you've rejected God's, God's word, because you rejected the, Lord, the word of the Lord, equal transaction. He's rejected you from being king. And I say again, did God remove him from his throne immediately? No. I, I, I didn't put the numbers together, but I would estimate anywhere from 30, 30 some odd years. He went on to reign over the nation. Brethren, you can make choices. You can rebel against God. And you're still God's child. But you can live the rest of your life in the shadow of the consequences of your choice. And you can never be granted back in. When I talk about deception, and the worst deception being 
you not even knowing that you're deceived, that you're believing a lie, thinking it's the truth. Let's go on and finish up a few more verses here. Look at Saul's desire to save face. Not repent, but Saul's desire to save face. Verses 24 through 31. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Oh, it's so good. He sees his sin. He repents of it. No. He doesn't repent. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their their voice. All he's doing is giving an excuse. He's not repenting. He's not saying, I did wrong. Lord of heaven, forgive me. He's saying, oh yeah, you caught me. I did wrong. And I was, in, I was influenced by the people. Well, excuse me. But should rulers be guided by what their people want? Oh, I know, we, we live in a democracy. You know, an organized anarchy. I mean, in God's way of looking at things, rulers are supposed to set the tone. Rulers are supposed to guide and direct. Parents, you know, should, should parents say, oh, my kids wanted to do it, so we did it? I mean, we'd laugh at that, wouldn't we? Yes. Now, therefore, verse 25, I pray thee, pardon my sin. Who's he asking this of? The Lord? Samuel. He's talking to Samuel. He's not talking to the Lord. I want you, Samuel, to pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. He didn't go to the Lord himself. And Samuel said unto Saul, verse 26, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. He wanted to give him an object lesson about what, what he had done. Saul, this is what you've done. Takes his garment and rends it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Verse 30, And then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people, and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. He went through the motions. But nowhere do we see that he repented of this. The closest you come to any repentance is asking Samuel, a man of God, to come with him. So that he could maintain his honor in front of his nation. And I say that with emphasis. His nation. Not the Lord. He admits his sin. He says he feared the people. He asks Samuel for forgiveness. Samuel initially refuses to go with him. Samuel shows him exactly what's occurred. But then Saul begs Samuel to honor him before the people. And Samuel allows it. Goes in with him. Brethren, what are some of the lessons we can learn from this passage? Carnality corrupts, and it deceives you.
how many times did he point out the fact that he kept Agag alive? Now, in case you're wondering, why did he do that? Well, that was a common occurrence for kings in that day. I mean, it's a sign of your power. What a number of kings would do is once they'd conquer a people, they'd take the king and cut off his thumbs and his toes. Because without the thumbs, I mean, you're just kind of scrabbling around. You know, it's hard for you to do much of anything. With your toes, it's almost impossible to walk upright. So imagine this, this powerful king who's now this crawling around little thing, you know, at my court I throw straps to. I mean, that's a great illustration of your power as a king. You know, but somebody realizes, oh, that was a king of the Amalekites. Oh, they were destroyed. Oh, and look at him now, what he's been brought down to. See? It's kind of like, you know, a little medal that you wear. <laughs> showing your power and authority. As opposed to what the Lord said, which is wipe them all out. Man, woman, child. From the top to the bottom. But Saul, remember... Two, three times, he brings this up. See, I've taken Agag. Yeah, but he's still breathing. If we were to read the passage on further, Samuel takes care of that. (laughs) The old prophet goes up and hacks Agag to pieces and fulfills God's word to make sure there are none left alive breathing from Amalek. But Saul never did. He made an excuse for keeping the best of the people, best of the sheep, right? The people said we ought to do this. And he implies that he feared the people over God. You say, now, Newell, how do you get that? Well, as we go through, as we went through, we looked at on this side, remember, what did the Lord say? Did we all agree it was nice, clear, precise, exact, easy to follow? Amen. And then we compared over here, what did he do? He disobeyed. Yes. Clear. And in his own defense, what did he say? All the stuff that we should have slaughtered, we brought. He himself acknowledged what they should have done. It wasn't a mystery to him. The mystery was, why are you being so nitpicky, Saul, Samuel? Why does the Lord want all this stuff done? Isn't he satisfied with what we brought him? There's a stubbornness. He makes excuses for the people's sins. He implies that he feared the people over the Lord. Because after all, who was it that put him in power? In the first place, it was the Lord, not the people. Who was it? That gave him the instructions in the first place. It was the Lord, not the people. And when push comes to shove, Saul never asked for forgiveness from the Lord. For political expediency and maybe personal reasons, too. Because, as I said, it's obvious that Samuel liked Saul. And I think Saul liked Samuel. For personal relationship and for the expediency of being seen with the prophet of God in front of the people of God. He asks Samuel to go with him. But he never, ever gives any indication that he was asking the Lord for forgiveness. That's what will happen to you. That's what will happen to me. If we don't obey the Lord, 
Because that's the main point. The Lord wants our obedience. Obedience always trumps sacrifice. Obedience is always more important. Look at Jeremiah chapter 7. A couple of passages to close out. To show you from other parts of scripture how this comes to play. Jeremiah chapter 7. You know throughout the book of Jeremiah, he's talking to the nation of Judah about their rebellion, about how they've done things against what God's commanded to be done. Right? And in Jeremiah chapter 7 at verse 21, he tells them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifice. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Now, did God tell them and instruct them in sacrifices he wanted them to do? That's true. He did. But what was always his emphasis? The emphasis the Lord always had was, obey me. Obey me. Do what I tell you to do. And here he's pointing out that if it comes between the choice of some sacrifice or following something I've said, let the sacrifice go. Do what I've told you to do. Obey me. Look at chapter 8 of Jeremiah. Starting at verse 1. Jeremiah 11. Starting at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant, and speak Unto the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, obey my voice and do them according to all which I command you. So shall ye be my people and I will be your God. That I may perform the oath which I have sworn unto your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. Then answered I and said, So be it, O Lord. Then the Lord said unto me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear ye the words of the covenant and do them. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day. Rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked every one in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore will I bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. Again, the Lord points back and says, Obey me. Obey me. It's simple. When you read the word of God, is there something that jumps out at you that says, God wants me to do this? Obey it. Don't excuse it. 
Don't try to figure out something else. Obey it. And what's the indication here? You'll be blessed. Right. You disobey. You'll be cursed. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Just a couple more passages, just so you can see them. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you do not obey the commandment of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I commanded you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. God gives a commandment. That's the way. You walk in it, you're obeying. You turn aside, he says, go straight ahead, you want to go to the right. Have you stayed in the pathway? Uh Uh-uh. You deviate five feet to the left. You're still out of the way. Obey. Walk in what he's commanded. 13, verse 14. Then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently and behold, if it be truth. That's not the right verse. Verse 4, excuse me. Not 14, verse 4. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. What's the context of this passage? The context of this passage is very important. Context of every passage is important. But for me to read that verse, I'd be negligent if I didn't tell you what it is. The context is prophets coming. Prophets coming and telling you something that's contrary to God's word. A minister walking in the door with all the right credentials and telling you, preaching about Jesus Christ, but then telling you to do something slightly different from what you've already been taught and you know the word of God teaches. What do you do? Do you follow that man of God? Or do you follow the word of God? What you know God's already taught. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass. He works miracles. He's done something that nobody else in this room could do. But then he turns around and says, offer up a little incense to Mary. I mean, I'm just using that as an example. It doesn't matter what it is. He tells you to do anything contrary to what you know God's Word teaches. What do you do to this miracle working man? In the Old Testament, you stoned him with stones. Because you're to walk after the Lord your God and fear Him. The point being, God will send your way men to see if you're going to follow Him. Men who have good results. Men who have evidence, miraculous evidence of what they're doing is different from everybody else. But it'll be a different set of doctrine. Well, what are you going to follow? The results or the doctrine of the book? You follow the doctrine of the book. You let his results go. And you get rid of him. In Deuteronomy 21, it tells us about rebellious sons, right? What are you supposed to do if they won't obey the voice of their father and their mother? They're supposed to be taken out, taken to the elders of the city, 
And they're stoned. Brethren, if parents under God's, God's economy have that kind of power, how much more should his word be to us? The word of God himself be to us. You know, what did after Joshua? Oh, I love old Joshua. I love that man. After he made, you know, his final parting statements to the nation about, you know, you know, choose who you're going to worship. It doesn't matter to me. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And they came back and said, oh, we're going to serve the Lord, too. He says, you can't. You're not going to fall away. You've got you to serve him with all your heart. And he was using that to challenge them. Knowing that the good men would step forward. Well, they did step forward in Joshua 24, 24. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and His voice will we obey. Brethren, are you going to be a good man and a good woman and make that same choice? That you're going to hear God's voice and obey it. That's the key. Over in Job chapter 36. Over in Job chapter 36. Verses 11 and 12. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. Saul could have had years of prosperity and pleasure. He chose to disobey God. And what did he have? But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword. And they shall die without knowledge. Anybody remember how Saul died? What was the last thing he wanted to do? He wanted to see his good buddy. He wanted to see Samuel. So he violated the law he himself as king of Israel had passed. As king of Israel, he passed the law. Anybody who goes to a witch ought to die. And on his last night before the battle that would be his demise with the Philistines, he has one of his guys go out and find a witch. He finds the witch at Endor. And he goes to her in a disguise. And he says, she says, well, what do you want? I want to see Samuel the prophet. Very interesting experience. Very interesting account to read sometime. Because the woman is startled when Samuel appears. Shows you that she was expecting her normal lying spirits to come up. And when the real man came, she was shocked. And what, did, and what was Samuel's? Samuel, his good friend from long ago who had died. What was his advice to Saul on that day? You're going to be with me soon, you and your, you, you and your sons. Because you're going to die. Because you've rejected God. Even trying to call, what are you doing trying to call me up from the grave? You're dying tomorrow in battle. And how did he die in that battle? He was sorely wounded by the archers. But then he asked for somebody to hold his sword so he could fall on it. The young man was too scared to do it. So he falls on his own sword, dies a suicide. Is that what you want? A long life where you're always looking over your shoulder at David? 
Because the people are seeing that Saul is slain as thousands, but David is slain as ten thousands. Even though David is a righteous man, and David is a man who protects your flank all his days. Twice holding back his own men when he's a, an outlaw because of your jealousy. Twice defending you from his own men who want to kill you. And yet you're always worried about him. The most noble man in the kingdom. Dying a suicide. Seeing your sons die on the field of battle before you do. Is that how you want to end up your life? Then fine. Think of a better way than what God's commanded. The next time you read something in God's word that says, do this, you come up with something better. Because that's your fate. But, I'll close with Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. Acts 5.32 to try to tie in what our brother Jonathan's preached about. Here's the apostles giving testimony and they said, and we, are his wit- and we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Do you want the fullness of the Holy Ghost in your life today, tomorrow, and the next day? It's easy. It's simple. Obey the Lord. When you find that passage of scripture that speaks to your heart to say, I need to do that. Do it. And the Holy Ghost will be there to give you the strength to do that. The Holy Spirit will be there to give you the wisdom to do it. The Holy Ghost will be there to comfort your heart that you are His child. That you are doing what's right. So is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Brethren, let's take the example of Saul and let's Let it be a contra example. Let it be something that we don't allow to happen in our lives. But let's make sure that whatever God tells us to do, we're always following it. We're always obeying the voice of the Lord as he speaks to us in his word. May God bless us to that end.